0: I went to a Christian liberal arts university in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and uh, well, wow, good preaching already. Thank you, Saul. Um, and, uh, and it's a weird place, I'll be honest with you. Um, there's a lot of wonderful things that happen there, and there's a lot of weird stuff that happens there. And one of the weird things that happens there is like this just seemingly insatiable desire to find your mate. Like it's just, like it's just, it's just, you, it's like you got four years and you better make this happen or else... You're in trouble, and that's the end of it. That's what it feels like anyway. Um, while I was there, I actually did meet my mate. Uh, I was sitting in Saga, which is the cafeteria, and I was sitting, I think, by myself. Oh, poor me. I was sitting, I think it was my first semester, actually, and I was sitting there, uh, I was sitting there at, at, the t- at the lunch table I was eating, and this girl walked across my line of sight. She was wearing, I think, a dark dress, had flowers on it, and I was like, hey... Who is that because I'm going to get to know her. And um I lost her cuz she ran off and I had a mouthful of food. So I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. So so she went uh, away and then it was probably a week or two later. I showed up at this audition. This it was Music ministries audition. It was to uh, audition for the choir that sang in chapel. And so I was about to audition and just a few people before me, this girl, that same girl. She stands up and she auditions and she's got the most beautiful singing voice. And this huge smile, you witnessed it. It was happening right about here today. And, 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 and she was singing this song and she was doing sign language while she was singing it. And I was like, <gasps> I have no idea what this means, but I'm all over it. I love it. And so, so anyway, um, we got selected for the same choir and we ended up actually going on a tour together to Nigeria and spent a month in Nigeria in some of the worst conditions. And I really got to know her. And... Um, so some time went by and i was like i'm, I'm gonna ask this girl out now my dad always uh, he always accuses us guys of of not moving fast enough his sons he's like you bo- you boys need to get on it you need to move you need to ask the girl out so so she was actually dating somebody the entire time that she was on that trip and so i was very respectful um but one day my roommate he came back from uh, lunch and he, he came in the dorm room and he slammed the door and he said dude they broke up and because he would he was a good room he would always ask her he'd always say hey, so are you still dating that guy? And she'd say, yeah, I am. And he would say, well, okay. And so, and so he came back and reported it to me. They broke up. And so I let her grieve because that's a big deal for you know, a young woman. So I let her grieve for about an hour and I called her. So, so we went out and um, went on a couple dates and it was great. And then a summer kind of went by and I led a team, a missions team to South Africa. And then we came back and we kind of were, were kind of getting together. And then one night in the Barnes & Noble parking lot, she tried to dump me. She just said, hey, this isn't going to work and we're from different sides of the country and, and I don't know and I'm just not sure she got a little scared and so she dumped me and I, I said, okay, I understand. I drove her back to the dorms and we got out of the car and I walked around uh, to, to, you know, I opened the door and she got out and I said, it, it really is okay. And I leaned in and I gave her a kiss on the cheek. That was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. Messed her up. And so, so, so she went in, so she went into the dorms and, um, and then I, I sent her a message later that night, and I just said, Hey, we don't have to be a couple, but I'm not just going to let you not be my friend. I, I appreciate you so much. And I took the pressure off, and she felt good about it, and so she kind of came back uh, in a couple months. And so uh, I proposed to her, and uh, we got married, and we have three children, and it's been marital bliss ever since. I really didn't need applause, but thank you for that. We appreciate it. Now, here's the weird part of the story. So, so, uh, at ORU, which is the school I went to, it's a very charismatic school, and, um, and so this happened all the time, like, li- literally, this, 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 it wasn't just normal guy-girl pickup lines, like, Christian cheesy pickup lines, like, like, oh, are you an angel? Because you must have fallen out of heaven, or whatever, it wasn't any of, any of those things, it was, like, seriously, guys would go up to girls and say, hey, the Lord spoke to me and said that you're going to be my wife. Like, that would literally happen to girls, and did it ever happen to you? It did happen to her. It, ha- it actually happened to her, it didn't work, but it happened to her. Now, here's the weird part. I was in, um, I was in uh, Nigeria with her, and I was, on the, I was on a platform, and we were singing, and the girls came in a little bit late, and I looked down, and I really, honestly, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Son, behold your wife. He really did tell me, but I never told her, ever. Not until we got engaged, and that night I said, Hey, I think the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that we were going to get married, and so it's been awesome ever since. But at ORU, there was just this thing, this, this insane, like, so much so that guys would, like, pretend that the holy spirit spoke to them and said you're gonna marry me and it didn't work and so girls only defense was it was uh well you know what i'm sorry right now i'm just dating jesus (laughs) that's what they would say and i'm like really i mean does he know because like it's a little weird and uh i don't uh, how's that working out i mean it just seems awkward to me uh but i understand that was the only recourse that they had you know but there was this just this culture of, I'm single, i got to fix it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So today, um, I just want to talk about this idea a little bit, because I kind of grew up believing that marriage was like the goal. Like for me, mar- marriage, I, I just, it, it wasn't necessarily in things that people said, like nobody outright said, hey, kind of the goal of life and the goal of Christianity is to be married. Nobody ever said that, of course, who would think that? But it was more just in the things that people would say to me, you know, just in the questions, hey, so... You got your eye on anyone? And They say, uh, "So, you dating anybody?" It always starts with "so." It's like kind of so. It always, it always starts with that, um, and then you, and then you get you find somebody and you're dating for a little while. And they say, "So, when are you gonna?" Pop the question, you know? I, and why is it popping the question? Isn't that that's a weird? Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, or maybe it was in sermons that I grew up listening to, and and I would always hear. And I preached these same sermons, and the pastor would say, "Hey." It's so important because people are so selfish, and so when you get married, you find out how selfish you are, and it kind of it gets some of that selfishness out of you. Or then you have your first kid, and you realize, oh, I'm still selfish, and I got to work that out of me. And then you have your second kid, and like, oh, I'm still selfish, and the kid just works the selfishness out of you. It's so good, and kind of the hidden message that I, nobody ever said it. Understand? But but this hidden message is always kind of like when you get married, then you'll have more value. When you get married. You'll be a better Christian. Listen, everybody, there there are more than there are more single people today than ever before in American history. There are one hundred and ten million people who are single, and that includes those who are divorced, etc. But that's more than forty-five percent of all Americans eighteen or older. That's a lot of people that are living this life single. The median age for men to get married is now twenty-nine point five. The median age for women to get married is now 27.4. And so for young people, they're getting married later and later. And for young people now, uh, by the time they reach the age of 50, one in four of them will have been single all their lives. It's a major shift in our society and in our culture. So is marriage really the highest ideal that we're all, that all of us, everybody, that we're all supposed to strive for? Is that really what Jesus planned for everybody? Like, is that really the main goal? What if you don't want to do that? Or what if you can't do that? Or do you miss out on God's best plan for your life? And then if you're single, like you watch a show like The Bachelor, right? Oh my gosh. This show, it got real quiet because people were like, oh, I don't watch that. People got nervous. You watch it like The Bachelor and it kind of typifies, I think, what, what some people experience in single living, right? Like, like it seems great at first, like there's, there's ladies everywhere and there's this guy and 30 ladies and he's going to date all of them. Oh, that seems like a recipe for real health in marriage, but, and it seems great. It's going to be oh, so much opportunity. And then by the end, it's just the biggest train wreck that you've ever seen in your life as it all kind of falls apart. And I think a lot of people's experience is similar to that. So 1 Corinthians seven thirty two, Paul says, I would like you to be free from concerns. He's writing about all this stuff. He's writing about marriage and writing about singleness. And he says, I want you to be free from concern. Paul's writing so that we wouldn't have anxiety about this. And yet there's lots of anxiety about marriage and singleness today. Everybody who's married, said, Oh, good. You didn't want to confess in front of your spouse. That's good. We're in this middle of this series and we're calling it Real Relationships. And we're trying to figure out what it means to live relationships in the Jesus way. What does it mean to get your life and your relationship with God in order so that you can have healthy relationships as you go forward, healthy relationships out in the world? And so today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about living single. It's a little bit weird, right? You don't hear, I don't think a lot, I didn't hear a lot of these kinds of talks growing up uh, in church. And I think part of it is, uh, let me just coach you a little bit. We live in a consumer-driven culture, and I think sometimes that consumer-driven culture sneaks into the church. And so you sit through a message, and maybe you're married, and you go, um, oh, well, I'm, I'm already past that, thank God. Uh, I'm already past that single stage, and so this isn't for me. But don't, don't do that yet. Don't, don't shut me out yet. You just heard that the stats for single people in our country, 45%, almost half, of the people in our nation. And actually, in the Austin area, I think it's over 60%. This is something that We have to figure out and we have to talk about And I think if you're married, there are things for you to learn today and things for me to learn today as I've studied this, not just from those people who are single, but what Jesus says about being single. So what I want us to do, and this is why I need you to come along with me today, even if you're married, I need you to come along because we're going to try to develop a theology of singleness, a theology of what it means to be single. And I'm no expert on this, everybody. I've been married for 18 years. I'm not an expert in this idea but what I know is that relationships are difficult and I know that being married is hard and I know that being single is hard too yeah Uh, uh, in fact I I saw some of it this week I was just kind of doing some research and I found I found some single people talking about what it's like to be single and I found them through the means that many of us uh, communicate through Twitter and so here's here's one of the first things uh, this guy Kevin said life is short if you have a crush on someone walk right up to them then a little past them and just keep going it's probably not worth it (laughs) Kind of, kind of the mo of some people today or this person who said apparently you got to talk to people and go outside in order to date hashtag why i'm single <laughs> that's i'm just i'm not into that that's not what i'm looking for or this person this lady, i love this she said who are we single young professionals what do we want for perishable groceries to be sold in smaller portion sizes please please everything is going bad at my house or this person here is a valentine's day plan breakfast in bed chocolates watch movie dinner for two regret eating two dinners cry alone our hearts go out to you i know how about this one It's so crazy to think about how my future significant others currently out there in the world wondering why they have no arms or legs body at all and no conscience because they don't actually exist and i'm going to be alone forever i know this is good. i just want to tweet those guys hey man you're going to make it or finally, this person, I love this next one, said, uh, there's plenty of fish in the sea, but you know what else is in the sea? Trash. There's a lot of trash in the sea. That's, 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 what, that's what's out there. <laughs> it's hard, everybody. And you know what? It gets even harder because when you look at American culture, and even I think somewhat in the church culture, you see two views on marriage. You see people who are obsessed with marriage. Obsessed with marriage. Like Joe, oh, I just can't wait to get married. I just can't wait for that day. I just want to find my, and Christians even use this word, my soulmate. Like just find that one person who can make me complete. They bought to the whole scene in Jerry Maguire. That whole final scene, you complete me. Shut up. Shut up. You had me at hello. Right, that whole scene. You remember it? You complete me. Never has there been such a beautiful cinematic moment that is such a lie. What a dirty lie. Because no person was ever designed to complete another person. Only Jesus can do that kind of work. So don't buy into that. Here's what author and theologian Tim Keller said. He said, I want someone who will fill every vacancy in me, awaken dormant gifts inside, and continuously enrapture me in otherworldly emotional bliss. Well, this may come as a shock to you. This puts tremendous pressure on another human being. (laughs) It's a pressure that doesn't belong to a human being. And yet we tend to idolize marriage. We tend to hold it up as this idol that one day, when it happens, I will finally be complete. And I'm just going to tell you as a married guy, that's not how it works. (laughs) And probably those of you that married would say the same thing. My wife is an incredible blessing to my life, but she doesn't complete me. She doesn't give me everything that I need. Only Jesus does this. Abby Smith, author, said, singles idolize marriage and treat it as the ultimate goal. Marrieds are stuck searching for the idealized marriage they for so long idolized. So if you prop up this goal, you're going to go in the wrong direction. So getting married doesn't automatically fix it. Listen, marriage is sacred. Marriage is beautiful and marriage is uniquely spiritual, but it's not the ultimate fulfillment for relationships. It wasn't meant to be that. So just like my college experience, some people think, if I could just endure being single until I find that blessed state of marital bliss, it doesn't work that way. You'll find another view, though, in our culture, and it's the view that's people that are opposed to marriage, like completely opposed and against the institution of marriage. I don't want any part of this. Uh, They know the divorce stats in the country. They know it's about half they know that, unfortunately, that percentage is the same inside the church. They've seen that. So, so they'll say things like, marriage is basically slavery. Like, that's what it is. It's just, it's like, or I like how somebody put it. I heard somebody say, they called it legalized patriarchal oppression. <laughs> that's oh, Yikes, there's some action over here. Don't, don't pay any attention to that. They're, we're counseling them. They're going to be fine. And listen, there have been plenty of abuses, everybody. We've all seen some stuff. So there's no doubt about it. But I think our culture has pushed back too much. It's pushed back so much and overcorrected to say, oh, you actually you don't need anybody. You don't need anybody. Ladies, you don't need a man. Men, you don't need a woman. You don't need any of that stuff. You can do it on your own. You can put your career first and you can live the American dream and you can climb the ladder and you can have it all. Or maybe you just come from a divorced family like me and you just, you've seen it and it's been so painful. And so you say... Somewhere in your heart, I don't want anything to do with that in my life. But none of that stuff comes from a healthy place. It really comes from a place that's kind of broken. So that's interesting. But what does the scripture have to say about all this? Well, as I look through it, I think a few things. I think the scripture says yes to singleness. I think the scripture says yes to singleness. And you can start with Jesus himself. Jesus himself was single, Jesus himself lived single. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute he was God, that doesn't count. It's not, no, and you can't think that way. Actually, if you think that way, that's just bad theology. That's what we call docetism. And that's, that's this idea that he was still kind of celestial. He wasn't really here in physical form. And so any of the sufferings that he went through, they weren't really apparent. It didn't really happen to him, but that's not true. Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. So Jesus, in the way that he lived here on the earth, as a human being, it affirms living single. I think it's a beautiful affirmation. But still, you're like, well, but he was on a mission and he had a total purpose. And okay, how about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul, he had an encounter with Jesus that so totally reoriented his life. He got a massive vision for God and what he could do. He lived with a massive vision and a huge heart for Jesus in his generation. And so he devoted everything that he could to service in the kingdom of God. Planted churches, caring for those churches, writing letters that we read today. He wasn't just single so that he could serve God. He didn't just kind of reserve himself. No, he had a massive revelation of Jesus and what God could do. And so he sold out his life to it. It's pretty beautiful. I think as you search through the scriptures too, you find that individual people are important. Individuals are important in the Bible. You can see it in Luke chapter 15 as you read through it. Inherent in the gospel is the idea that just one person is important and valuable. Not just married couples. They're not the only ones that have value. Individuals have great dignity in the scriptures. Each person is inherently valuable because they're made in the image of God. And God the Father, he searches and chases down individual people. That's what Luke 15 is all about. And then I also find, as I read through the scriptures, that marriage is beautiful, but meant for this world. Marriage is beautiful, and it's meant for this world. Listen, I am so thankful to be married, and it is a beautiful picture of Christ and the church, and I am to give my life away as Christ gave his life away to us, and my wife responds to me in the way that we respond to the church and gives herself back to me. It is a beautiful and wonderful picture But as you read through the scriptures, it appears that it's a temporary state. Have you read Matthew 22? If you read Matthew 22, you'll find Jesus talking about this and talking about how really it's designed for this life and not necessarily designed to carry into the next life in the same way. Now, if you're in a bad marriage, this is really good news. If you If you're in a really good marriage, it's a little sad. <laughs> like, like, Marie and I, we get a little sad about it sometimes. And we're like, "Oh, I just love you so much. And, and the reality is, is that every day is like eternity in heaven with you. No, that is actually how we talk about it. But think about it, right? You're, you're born single and life typically kind of ends up single and you can enter into eternity one with with god and christ and that's going to be a wonderful and glorious day but it seems like marriage even at its best is just a temporary statement for this world you can read matthew 22 later so jesus comes along and he says something completely different than culture rather than being obsessed with marriage rather than being opposed to marriage jesus comes along and says singleness is opportunity singleness is opportunity at the time in in here that there were two rabbinical ideas of thought. Two, two rabbinical ways of thinking about this and teaching. One way, would they would say, well, uh, you can just divorce your wife for anything. It doesn't matter. She's not attractive to you anymore. She's gone. You don't care for the hummus that she prepared. She's out. You don't, you don't, you know, she gained a few pounds, but you don't have to keep her around. Like, that was one school of thought. And of course, there's another school of thought more like today where, where they would say, no, you, you can't do that. There's only very few circumstances where That can happen. And so the Pharisees, they come to Jesus with these ideas and they're trying to trap him. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of, of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Like it was, this is hard for them. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. You can see it. The disciples were having a really tough time with this. Uh, okay, if that's the way it is, Jesus, then I think this might be too hard. Like, I, I think maybe we shouldn't do this. Like, if you're stuck, why... Why should we even get married? And this is where it gets interesting to me, and maybe even a little bit weird, because Jesus starts talking about eunuchs. <laughs> in general, a eunuch would be someone who had been disfigured or emasculated, perhaps to serve on a, in a royal court somewhere, perhaps to watch over a, a harem or concubines, and so they wouldn't be any sort of threat to those women, and they could watch over them in, on behalf of the king. And so he starts talking about these kinds of people and he says, some people were born this way, maybe birth defects or other things like that. Some people have been made this way, as I was talking about, for service as slaves or maybe through cultic practices. But there are others, Jesus says. There are others that choose to live this way. There are others that choose to live as if they're eunuchs and they do this for the sake of service to the kingdom of God. They have a vision for their lives and it's massive. They have a vision and a heart for God and what they could do in their generation and it takes their entire lives. They devote every area of their lives for the kingdom of God. They have such a vision, such a purpose, such a focus that they devote everything to him. Now, this passage, just to be clear, it's not just about celibacy, though for sure that would be included. But Jesus is saying, if you can accept this, you should And you've got to understand that this was incredibly controversial. Like, this didn't happen. There was really no place for these people at this time. Now, I confess to you that I'm not an expert in this, but as I understand it, the Jews, they were opposed to eunuchs and opposed to this kind of a lifestyle. They're still living out of the Genesis idea and what they had heard that they were supposed to fill and subdue the earth. The eldest son carrying on the family name to them was a matter, literally, of life and death. The pressure from family and synagogue and culture to marry, it was enormous. And some rabbis would even teach that to be unmarried at age 20 was a sin. So if you're a Jewish person, the vision for everybody's life is, well, you live under the law of God. Well, you, you, you have a huge family. You fill the earth. You become a patriarch and you have financial blessing. Of course, the patriarch part, that's hard for a The Greeks, it's because, never mind. The, 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 you don't care, the, the at the same time, the Greeks, similar idea. Now you know that the Greeks loved the classical form. You can see it in their art. They loved the classical form and so any sort of mutilation, any sort of emasculation like this, it stripped everything away from, from, from men and it just it robbed them of their manhood and so it wasn't respected. So if you're in this position in any way at this time, you don't belong. You don't have a place. In the pagan community, you don't have a place. In the Jewish community... You don't have a place and you can't find life. You're excluded from life and experiencing covenant blessing. So a eunuch, for whatever reason, they were a eunuch. They had no future. And even later today, everybody, as you kind of read through, you find in the Quran that Muhammad apparently says, not to get married is to overstep the bounds of the law. Or in Mormonism, you'll find that you've got to get married in the temple and there's some discussion about a planet that you get to populate and things like that. And I understand that's been misleading in culture for some, but... It's not really here or there for us today. The point is, is that no one else, no other religion, nobody else said the things that Jesus says. He comes along and he says, some people live their lives fully devoted to the kingdom of God. And if you can, you should. And this was good news for everybody. Because what happens is Jesus opens up a whole new way of participation for people who have been on the outside, just like Jesus always does. Opens the doors wide so that everybody gets to come in and participate. He says, you have a place with me. You have a place in my kingdom, and it's good. Listen to this theologian, Barry Danilak. He says, the New Testament does not interpret the mandate given to Adam, Noah, and Jacob as a, di- a driving imperative impinged upon all. Nor are the traditional marriage, procreation, and material prosperity explicitly associated with covenantal blessing in the New Covenant. Instead, the central message of the New Testament is in, proclaiming the good news of the coming kingdom of God. Jesus' primary concern in his ministry is not to provide a prescription for living well in the land, but to bestow a spiritual life, a new life in the Spirit that is eternal life. Such new spiritual formation is the process of becoming Jesus' disciple, hence Though in the New Testament, we are we're not given an explicit mandate to marry and procreate physical human beings, we are given a new mandate to create more spiritual human beings, disciples in the form of Jesus, as we find in the words of Matthew's Great Commission. This is a massive shift for the world that they're living in. And it continues today, and it's good news. It opens a massive door. Have you ever met anybody like we're talking about? Have you ever met these people that have just given everything away? I've met them. I know a guy named Fred. And Fred, he has devoted his entire life to the mission field. And he is a strategist. He's worked a long time with YWAM. He goes all over the world into the most dangerous places in our world to help the gospel move forward and gain an inch at a time and a little bit of ground. He's been threatened more times than I can tell you. And he knows that one day he'll probably give his life on the mission field. And his whole life is devoted. And you sit and listen to him as he strategizes and teaches and tells you things that are happening in countries that you had no idea where the kingdom of God is at work. It's beautiful. It's inspirational. I can't even imagine it. I know Britt Hancock, who's a missionary to Mexico, who's spoken here before. And he's watching miracle after miracle and seeing churches planted and grow up in villages in the mountains in Mexico and in Nicaragua, like all over the world, devoting. And he's a married man. Just all over the world doing incredible, incredible things and seeing God move in power. It's inspirational when you find people like this. Married and single. So 1 Corinthians 7.32, it's the verse that I read before. He said, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried man, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. Listen to this, everybody, in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's a really important and really powerful phrase, married or single, living in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul, he gets a bad rap sometimes because it seems like he's against marriage and he's not. And in fact, next week, we're going to talk about marriage a little bit. So we'll, we'll kind of pick up the other side. But, but today, I want to give you, because Jesus said that singleness is an opportunity. I want to give those of you who are single, and I'm looking around the room here, and there's a bunch of you, and I'm so thankful for you. And I, those of us who are married, I want to give us a little bit of an idea too. Three opportunities, because I want us to develop a theology of what it means to live single and support them and come alongside them. I think it's important for the future of our church and the growth that's going to continue to happen here. So three opportunities for living single. Are you ready? Yes or no? Good. The first is freedom from distraction. It's awesome, the opportunity that you have. Freedom from distraction. You've got this beautiful opportunity to be free from distractions, at least in this season that you're in. I have distractions. I have a beautiful distraction named Maria. And I love looking. What? she's pretty. I have distractions named Aurora and Ewan and Reese, and I love it. And I'm so thankful for it. And please, don't hear me in the negative sense. It's not not a negative thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's right for me. It was right for the season of our lives. It's right for where we are. And it's a beautiful thing. I love my marriage. And I love all of you that are married. It's wonderful, but they are distractions. I could tell you, I'd be a better disciple of Jesus if I wasn't married. Like, I could go further. I could spend more time. I would be a more attentive pastor if I didn't have a family. It's just the facts and and I've made decisions that I'm gonna set some boundaries and I'm gonna live a healthy life so that I can do this for a long, long time and there won't be any sort of pressure or anything that'll take me out early. I've just decided. I could be more attentive if it wasn't for the distractions, even though I love those distractions. But you, if you're single, you have less of those. You have less of those kinds of distractions. You have more time and it's wonderful. Does that mean that I I shouldn't or I can't want to be with somebody else? Certainly not. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But I don't want you to idolize marriage either. And I don't want you just to wait and wait for somebody to hopefully text you back and maybe ask you out and spend a couple days just wasting your time waiting and hoping. Don't do that. Give it all away. Like, don't live life like you're waiting for somebody. Just give your life over and live the most joyous and fulfilled life you can right now, at least in this season. You could leverage your time and your energy every moment for the kingdom of God. So think about it focus on it give your energy to it at least for this season and everybody the rest of us who are married we can learn something from them we can learn something about living free from distraction though we have these other things that take up time in our lives that are beautiful there are things in our lives as married people that don't necessarily need to take up as much time as they're taking up and we can take this word from scripture and we can apply it to us and live free from distraction the second thing is devotion without division that's an incredible opportunity that you have I can live in devotion without being so divided. Just like the past two weeks, we've talked about getting our life right with God before we kind of work on relationships with others. If we don't do that, what happens is we try to bring God-sized problems to people. We try to bring God-sized needs to people and they can't possibly succeed in fulfilling it because they weren't meant to do that. You have the opportunity right now to set aside your other devotions. The other things that, you, that kind of take up space in your heart, you can set those aside and live in the way that Paul is saying, in undivided devotion to the Lord. You can spend time looking to him, being attentive to what he wants and needs from you. I think it's beautiful. And as you develop that intimate devotion, it sustains you and it fulfills you. And I'm just gonna tell you, if that's you, a mere idea of Jesus, a mental assent to, oh, who Jesus is, that won't be enough to sustain you. But if you dig in and devote your life to him, and this is married or single, if you dig in and devote your life to him, then you can find total fulfillment, total satisfaction in him. I think us married people, we can learn from this too. And the third thing is, you can make a difference. Like you can make a massive difference. You have time to do it. More time than people who are married. I mean, look, I, Maria and I, we kind of laugh about this quite a bit actually um, because you meet somebody who's single and for and, and, and and the, them, they say, oh, I'm so tired. This has been such a week. And if you have kids at all, th- this is actually what you respond with if, if that's you. <laughs> you I'm, I'm going to come to you. I'm a, but for real though, like my 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 family i'm the youngest in my family we were the last to have kids and so it would happen to us all the time we would finish a high school retreat and when i was a youth pastor and we'd get together with the family that night and like the sunday night the retreat just got over and and you know i just took 400 kids to the mountains 400 high school kids to the mountains i was tired and so but we didn't have kids yet so we'd sit around the dinner table with my brothers and their wives and my sister and husband and and we'd sit there and and how, how was it oh man it was good but we were so tired oh my gosh You don't know anything about being tired. You have no idea what it's like to lose sleep, to get over the... I mean, just railing us. Like, I'm sorry. I didn't know that it wasn't okay to feel sleepy from working hard. I didn't know that wasn't a thing that was allowed for me. If you're single, I know you've had that conversation with somebody. And we don't want to do that to you. But the reality is you do have more time and freedom than you will ever have. And time is so valuable today. And you've got it. You've got energy. You've got time. You've got things that you can do. Did you know that the average person, there's a study out that says the average person will, the average person will spend 10,000 hours playing video games by the time they turn 21. <laughs> Somebody said, Jesus. <laughs> oh, help him, Lord. <laughs> Now, probably not in this room, I I don't know, but have you ever heard of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule? Malcolm Gladwell, he's an author, incredible, brilliant mind, and he says he's done so much research and study on this idea that really it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. 10,000 hours to become an expert. So in 10,000 hours, you could get your undergrad and and graduate degree. Like in 10,000 hours, you you could become world-class at just about anything. Look, there's no condemnation here in this space for those who are in Christ Jesus, but here's the thing, we just don't really need you to be a hero at Fortnite. Like that's not a thing that, that needs, or Halo, or the game of your choice. Like we don't, we don't need that from you. We need you to be a hero right here, right now. We need you to be a hero in our generation, in Kyle, in Austin, at your workplace. Like that's, that's where you're really needed. And so I just want to encourage you. Look, everybody, why don't you guys come back up. Look, I, I understand that singleness can be a challenge. And for some of you, it really is difficult. And for others of you, it's kind of awesome and you love it. And I love that. And I think it's wonderful. I think it's an incredible thing. But I know that you can use the season of life that you're in to make an amazing difference in the lives of some people around you. And I just want to tell you that we need you. Like we, as a church family, we need you and we need your voice. And I can tell you this too. Again, marriage does not fix all of it. And it's better, it's better to be single than just to settle and hurry up and kind of fill that need. It's much better for you to just wait for the right time and the right person. Everybody, I want us to recapture the dignity of singleness as a spiritual gift in our church. I get this is a little bit different than most of our messages, but, but I really do believe that it's important. I think for the future of our church, as people come, that They need, we need, a theology of how to handle that. And I think, I hope that I've convinced you in some way, just by scratching the surface, that Jesus looks at it and says, oh, it's good, it's good. If you're single today, I want you to get a vision for your singleness. If you're married, I want you to develop a vision for your marriage and a theology of marriage. But I also want you to develop with me a theology of what it means to be single. And let's support them as they do amazing things for the kingdom of God. Let's cheer them on. We as a church family, we accept you and we believe in you. And this is going to be a place where you can thrive. This is going to be a place where you can grow and be taken care of. We want to affirm the dignity of every human being, not just those people who are married. And sometimes we miss it Sometimes we do, we do series and we talk about relationships and we don't even mention you. I'm sorry about that. You're a major part of who we are and we need to create space for you. So everybody, let's do it. Like, just think about it with me for a second. When we have celebrations, what are those celebrations? Oh, wedding shower, weddings. Ooh, babies, baby shower. Ooh, anniversaries, come to our anniversary party. <laughs> those are appropriate and wonderful things and let's celebrate them like nobody else. But what if we also decided we're going to be a place where we just celebrate when people get a promotion? We throw a party. Or, we, or, or they, just, they, 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 they knock out a goal in their life. Like, I just accomplished this thing. It's amazing. What if we just got together and actually blew up some balloons and put up some streamers and we just, let's throw you a party because it's awesome. What if we just thought more about that? What if we invited people over for dinner? Not just who were in the same stage of life as us. Oh, who, who, okay. who? Who, well, who are we going to invite over on, on Friday night? Oh, well, let's see. Here are the couples in the church. <laughs> no, what What about the dignity of every human life? Let, let's invite some other people and let's learn from them. Let's learn from the undivided devotion that other the single people are learning to live in. Let's get some more of that into our marriages. Let's learn from them. Now, I need to say this really quick before we receive communion. I just want to, I'm going to do it quickly, but... I've said a lot here, but for those of you who are single, I just want to give you a few things. We, we understand your need for community and we, we take it seriously. So we don't want you to stay after service and clean up while we all go home because we have spouses and kids and it's important that we go take care of ourselves. That, we get that around here. And so we want to partner and work together. So if you're single, there's a few things that I really, I want to challenge you and encourage you to do to live fully the three things that I've already said to you. One, I want you to take good care of yourself. It's called self-care. It's just what are the things that, are, that you're passionate about that you love? Like, like, what are the things that fill your soul? I need you to do that. Because if you're going to take the opportunity that you have in your singleness, I need you to do that. You need to be healthy. So go mountain biking. Go hike the trails. Go swimming. Just fill yourself up. You're important, and it's good for you to take care of yourself. I want you to invest in community. I want you to find one or two people that can join the journey with you and live it out with you. Jesus modeled that for us. He had 12 disciples and three that were really close. So... Find some people that are committed. Pray with them. Hang out with them. Check in on them. Live life with them. Married or single. And I want you to practice regular hospitality. Like I want you to invite a wide range of people out to your house. Invite them over to your house. Don't just let the married people do all the work. You invite some people over to your house. Hang out with them. Go to coffee with them. Take them out. Like like Just just invest in regular hospitality hospitality, all that stuff that I said at the beginning of the message about working out selfishness and all those things that happens with kids, well, it can happen as you really invest in community. So just do it. We want you healthy and strong, and I think those things will help. You all, at the end of the day, married or single, I want you to remember that Jesus is our all in all. Jesus is our ultimate fulfillment. If you're single, if you're married... He's the one that provides and fulfills and satisfies. Jesus is the one who completes us. So let's let him do it today.